You're all very welcome to the final whistle. My name's Connor Breslin, and here is our podcast show for the day. We will be joined momentarily by UCD captain and former Sligo Rovers player Jack Keeney to discuss his career so far and his transfer from Sligo Rovers to UCD six months ago. I'll also be joined by Rory Carberry who will be talking about the MMA fights at the weekend in Las Vegas, Nevada as well as the Irish MMA fights during the weekend. On top of that we will be discussing all things soccer with the Manchester Derby at the weekend with Manchester United overcoming their rivals Manchester City 2-0. We'll be discussing the Merseyside Derby at the weekend and the main problems with the coronavirus with soccer games happening to play behind closed doors amongst other matches such as Munster going six months without playing any rugby games and perhaps the GAA National League games played behind closed doors but first of all we will jump straight we have Jack Keeney on the line the former Sligo Rovers player and current UCD captain Jack how are we keeping man? Good Connor how are you? Not too bad you're very welcome to the final whistle how are we feeling? Yeah, good, excited. Good, 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 always good to hear. Uh, well, we'll jump straight into it, Jack. After a 2-0 victory in the Premier Division final over Psycho IT yesterday, you must be very happy as captain. Yeah, yeah, it's always nice to get silverware, and I think um, we were very disappointed in our Collingwood uh, a few weeks ago, so it was nice to put it right yesterday. Coming into UCD last autumn, you've already grabbed two pieces of silverware, the Fresher Cup, which is the Harding Cup at university level, and now the Premier Division yesterday. Yeah, it's nice. We kind of hit the ground running. We were, we had um, a lot of experience coming into the Fresher team this year with myself and Liam and a couple of other boys who had played at under-19 and senior level. So, um, yeah, it was nice to start off well, and then... Um, we had a great league campaign. I don't think we might have only lost one game and then we pushed on and um, we got the win yesterday. Yeah, I suppose it's a very different lifestyle for you now coming from Sligo to UCD and I suppose when you're in Sligo it's uh, 100% football but that's not the case here. At, in obviously Dublin you have to balance your student life on top of that. Yeah, but um, I think I'm balancing it okay. It's just the change in the... Um, the training times normally it's like oh you train in the in the morning and then you'd have the whole evening off and it's kind of vice versa you're studying in the morning and uh, training in the evening but um, it's more or less than play the matches in the same day so it's not nothing not too much has changed which which is good thankfully yeah but I suppose in your three seasons now four, fourth season rather playing professional football uh, this season has taken quite a different toll because. This is your first season playing in the second division of Irish soccer. Last season coming in where UCD were relegated. Uh, UCD, I suppose, is obviously first and foremost, it's a university. But it's a team that plays in the League of Ireland that attracts mainly university players, young players. And to have such a disappointing season last year and probably not to get off to the best starts, do you think you are underperforming in that circumstance? Um, I don't know, Connor. I think maybe last year when we came in, there's kind of like a cycle, like every four or five years, um, like a team kind of come together, and at the end of it, they lose boys if they because they finish their degrees to go on to work or other clubs. So I think we're just rebuilding a lot of kind of new faces this year. And um, look, we knew last year it was hard, and like every chance, um, we got punished by the big teams because they're so experienced. So 
look where this looking to perform now, have a good season and perform, and hopefully that'll take us um, near the top of the table. Well, what is necessarily needed? You've come in now in your first season, and you've already been promoted as the captain of the team. What do you need to do as the leader now, and you're only 21 years old, to bring UCD back to the top flight and competing at a top level? Because if we look at their performance last week, it was a 5-1 defeat to Drogheda. Yeah, well, I suppose going on last week, um, I think we just give away sloppy goals. I don't think there was too much in between the two sides. If anyone was there on the day, I think it was nearly 50-50. But um, I think we've just been giving away sloppy goals, which is our Achilles here last year. So I think just setting high standards again and getting the consistency back into games where maybe last year we were underperforming, all of us. So I think it's just everyone taking ownership of themselves and doing extra stuff on and off the field to get us ready. And I think, we have done that in pre-season and um, I know our first game of the season was a very tough game and the weather was very very hard to play in and so we were lucky enough that we probably should have got out of there with a win um, and then the next game we won against Colts so we were building high and look I think hopefully last year was just a slight blunt in our uh, season and hopefully we can improve now um, taking the win from yesterday and going into Friday. Yeah, we want to talk about, obviously, uh, the university competitions. For those who don't know, the Collingwood is the biggest university cup in in Ireland. And in the league, UCD overcame DCU 7-0. And then when you met the next time in the first round, the Collingwood, they bet you. Um, what, what lessons did you really take from that? Yeah, well, I think it's um, like coming into a college setup. I didn't know how important um, these competitions were for yeah. UCD. And um, I think straight from the very start, there was a put a lot of ownership on to the, especially for us, the Harden. I think they won the Harden in many years, so I think we put a lot of ownership into that. And then, obviously, we had a good league campaign, so we were building right league going to Collingwood. And then, look, we knew it was always going to be tough. DCU were always very um, compact and have um, quality players up to, up front. So I think on the day, it was the same old story. I think we give away sloppy goals, and maybe it was too late. And then going to the penalties is always a lottery, and um Sad, sadly for us, we uh, we didn't go through. But look, we'll we'll take what we learned, and I think we've done that in the next few games. We kind of shut up shop when we needed to, um, and I think we we've we've learned from it. But still, still disappointing from it. I want to I want to talk about you learning as a footballer on a on a personal level rather than a team level because if we. Re- rewind back in your career where you started when you were only 17 years of age, moving from amateur level in Donegal Town. Uh, obviously, you played in the big clubs through the underage ranks, but to get a professional contract at 17 with Sligo Rovers, you went up through three seasons with them and became pretty much, a, I suppose, a likeable character in some in some instances, um, a hero for them and many others. Um, was that kind of hard to to do from mo- to make that move from Sligo down to Dublin? Um, well, I suppose I, I can't say a bad word about Sligo. Look, they've, I was there for three or four um, years of my life that I will never regret. They were good enough to throw me into the, the deep end when many others wouldn't. Um, especially, I think I played the last six or seven games towards the end of the relegation season, which which was either sink or bust. So, like, the managers showed great faith in me, and I have to... Um, say thanks to all the managers I had going from Donegal Town to the under 17s, under 19s to the, all the senior managers and assistants that I have. And look, they they just instilled the confidence in me to go out there and perform. And look, I when the chance came, I took and uh, I never looked back. Um, obviously, coming to Dublin, it was a 
it was a massive decision. Look, I knew I was going to have uh, regrets either way. Um, and I think I've personally made the right decision. I'm loving life up here um, and uh, wouldn't change it for the world. Yeah, you say you couldn't say a bad word about Sligo. I don't think they could either say a bad word about you, considering in the 54 appearances you made in all competitions for them, I suppose what you're most memorable for is the goals you got um, that made all national headlines, um, interviews with off the ball, etc. Them free kicks are... Going, I suppose they they're still talked about uh, a year on. Yeah, well, I suppose I think I the year but the season before I scored three goals, and I just remember the very first one against Bray, and thinking I'd love to get many more. And I think last year we started off well. I think I think they might have got more accolades because it was against two probably the biggest clubs in Ireland. Yeah, especially the first day against Dundalk, it was on TV, so it was always nice to. To, to do that and then I think to top it off probably was the one against Shamrock Rovers at home where to be honest um, even though uh, I, I, we got the I scored it was all about getting the win on the day and uh, I think it was something that I will never forget one of probably the, the best moments in a Sligo jersey and what, what would be the big differences now Jack in terms of your life I know when you were playing for Sligo uh, you were there obviously in school and then for a year you were just living at home so what's the Biggest difference now, uh, you touched on balance in your, your school life, but from moving down and moving away from home and having a sort of independence now, and it's not easy even to meet new teammates and trying to adapt with uh, a new system and a new team. So w- what's the biggest challenges for you? Um, well, I think, Connor, the, the time management from balance on the football and uh, the education. I think, you know, when I was at Sligo, I was finished at 3 o'clock and could have the evening off to myself to go to the gym or do whatever but I think now I'm, I'm very more uh, time conscious and like have to just get my stuff in order because I might be busy on a Monday I might have a uh, class from say 9 to uh, nine to 4 and then straight to training so it's just getting myself ready for the days that I'm going to be busy um, obviously getting the, the, the college side of it done I like to get it kind of over and done with first so then I can have real focus on the football um, but I don't think my mindset has changed. I'm thinking I'm even more concentrating more in the football to get it right up here. Would you so, be um, concentrating more in the football than your studies? Not not to say that your studies aren't important, but not would well, your first love and focus be football? Yeah, obviously, that, like, that, that's what I want to be when uh, after I finish college uh, as a full-time footballer. But at the same time, I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying my, uh, my science degree so far. And... Uh, I've met loads of new people and people probably uh, that I wouldn't met if I had a status Lego and I'm really thankful for that and look, if, if it's even getting them to help me in small things that if I miss a class or something or I miss training, you know, that they're always there thankfully and I think the, the scholarship program that I'm on are very um, appreciative of, um, look, we, we might miss two or three uh, full days uh, a week if we have games or something, so look, it's uh, just about catching up on it and um, thankfully I'm doing that. Yeah, I, I just want to briefly touch on, I suppose, your biggest supporters, uh, the people that have been uh, with you from the beginning, is obviously your family, who you're very close to. I just want to yeah. touch on a brief moment there, uh, last uh, last year in 2019, uh, your family did go through a bit of hardship, you come from a big sporting background, but with your brother Luke, who, former Donegal player, played in the 2014 uh, was a part of Jim McGuinness's 2014 All-Ireland final panel. Um, 
was a was a massive young star coming through the ranks in County Donegal, but then at the age of 24 was told he could never play again. Does that uh, do you take lessons from that, or does that obviously daunt you to think that that, that could be me one day, or what what have you took out of that lesson? Um, well, I suppose it was it was probably the the toughest years of I think all our family. Yeah. I think Kate had her; she did appreciate um, the first year. The Luke got her his uh, hip replacement, and then Mum was diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, I was going to mention that. Look, yeah. I have I have um, I have a lot of perspective at home, and I look I know how lucky I am to go out every day to do something I love, and I think especially with Luke, because he was the one that pushed me when I was say five or six, you know, to be the best person I yeah. was. Like he was the one I looked up to, even if I was playing Gaelic when I was younger. He was the one that was always pushing me. So look, to see his dreams shattering down, it's it's never nice to see. But look, I just uh, I hope I make him proud every day. I go out in the pitch and make all my family proud. So that's the I think I get very uh, satisfaction of the, of that. And of course, Luke, Luke has uh, since been very vocal about. Uh, the injuries um, has been on all the national papers and off the ball talking about um, player welfare and looking out for the best of uh, players. And obviously, uh, in the back of his mind, he's obviously thinking of you in that circumstance so that if that ever happened to you, he would want um, to make sure you were getting the best treatment in the best form. Yeah, um, no, I think it's a bit different, uh, the, the soccer to the Gaelic. I yeah. think the demands on the Gaelic player is completely different. So... Um, Look, I I know how lucky I am um, to be to be able to play every Friday night, and um, I I just hope I play for as many years as I can. And finally, Jack, just to, uh, just to touch on it, that uh, you now have a contract signed with UCD on for another three and a half years. What is the ambition, basically, from then on? I know you probably didn't think that too far down the line, but obviously, when you get your degree, you're finished with UCD. What do you think is the next step then for yourself? Um, well, to experience professional football at such a young age, it kind of only makes me to to strive to bigger and better things. So um, definitely, hopefully, going into full-time football um, after college. But look, you never know what's around the corner. So I'm just taking um, one step at a time and enjoying my football at UCD. And uh, could, that, could that football, that extra step, maybe be across the water somewhere? Or do you plan to remain in Ireland for the future? Yeah, yeah. Look, I'm. I'm not gonna say I failed if I if I didn't go to England. Yeah. Um, I'm. Uh, I'm very happy um, at this moment and what I've done previous. So, look, I hopefully just um, keep my head down and uh, good things will come in the future. Jack, uh, we wish you the best of luck uh, in the future, the best of luck in the league, and thanks very much for talking to us today. Not a problem, Connor. Thanks, mate. Right, thank you, Captain Jack Keeney, on his career so far and his transition from Sligo Rovers to UCD and in that last night winning the Premier Division with his club Jack is captain obviously and back in November winning the Harding Cup we will now move on to MMA and I will be joined now momentarily by Rory on the final whistle and we will be talking about last weekend's fights in Las Vegas Nevada one which has been called the fight, the greatest fight of all time between women and men, either or, between Joanna and Wiley. Uh, I suppose the fights have been somewhat controversial in the last few days, but I am joined by Rory now, who will talk us through the MMA fight. Rory, you're very welcome. How's it going, Connor? How are you? Not too bad. And we'd just like to get your opinions. Obviously, you saw the fights. Uh, big MMA fan. Uh, just talk us through the Joanna and Wiley fight, which was described 
um, by puns everywhere. I think even Conor McGregor even mentioned it. Uh, many were saying it was the not alone in women, but the greatest fight ever. Yeah, I think there there is a few up there in, in the past that you kind of look towards that would have been regarded as in people's kind of top five, top ten fights of all time. Um, Robbie Lawler and uh, Roy McDonald would have been one of them fights. So the Robbie Lawler's fight with Carlos Condit, but I think. <clears throat> Um, this weekend there was a bit of a juxtaposition between the headline fight and the co-headline everyone had a talk going in that Yal Romero and Israel Adesanya was going to be a, a barn burner of a fight on paper um, it didn't materialise into being so generally because Romero is a counterfighter and so is Israel Adesanya so you were looking in in that fight it was who's going to press the action and, and to be fair Adesanya got the, got the, the decision there and I, I think he deserved it for kind of coming forward fainting trying to draw reactions from Yal Romero it's just the fact that Yal Romero didn't really bite um on any of them feints or any of them setups that Adesanya was looking to um employ he did get off with a lot of uh, leg kicks which scored highly because there wasn't that much action throughout the five rounds anyway um and then you had the co-main event which <clears throat> I've had the pleasure to attend two of Joanna's fights previously when she fought um Claudia Gadelia for the second time in Las Vegas after the tough finale, which was an absolute, uh, another really, really brilliant fight, um, five-round uh, war, which Joanna came back after maybe a little bit of a slow start, but she got dropped in that fight early and came back with uh, basically winning the last three rounds and showing that she has conditioning to push anyone into into deep waters. She's obviously struggled in recent recent years. Um, since losing the title to Rose Namajunas, she's lost to Namajunas and then lost to Shevchenko. And obviously now lost to Wiley Zhang, but that fight was, there's not really too many superlatives you can use for it. It was blood and guts from both fires from the bell. They they were throwing every single thing, elbows, kicks, punches. They were throwing from the get-go. And like, I think they almost combined to have nearly 800 strikes between them, which is ridiculous. Yeah. They also, they also, surprisingly enough which is a crazy statistic i think as well that they ended up even on strikes landed in three of the rounds so it kind of tells you how close that fight was and then like i think joanna was very accurate with her shots she landed a lot a, a lot of nice punches and, and a couple of nice high kicks that grazed wiley zang but i think the the and although i did i scored it for joanna myself i think she she did enough to deserve to win three of the rounds Wiley Zhang had a, a, just a little bit more sharpness and power to her punches. They just seemed to be turning Joanna's head back a bit. and then Well, it was a neck-and-neck fight when it went to the decisions, yeah? Absolutely. It was, like, as I said, they neither of them took a backward step and, and moved forward. And there were just little little changes in, in strategy that, like, made the fight as... as, as um as appealing as it was like in the in the third round Wiley Zhang had started to land a couple of big shots on Joanna and Joanna I think it was the third of the fourth round went southpaw and just totally changed the the, the, the dynamic of the fight in that regard trying to throw throwing in between rounds making slight adjustments that throw the through the the opponent off and like it's one of those ones that will go down in in, in the history as one of the best MMA fights uh, regardless of male or female um, and like to, I've never I don't think anyone has really seen a hematoma that big that Joanna ended up with on her forehead it was it was intense to say the least and it's just a testament to how how both these that these women are absolute warriors and where does the uh, these two fighters go from here what what's the next step obviously you, you mentioned Joanna there but where do you think she goes from here um it's it's kind of hard to say like 
you'd obviously like to see that fight uh, play out again. Like, she, as I said, I, I personally scored it for Joanna. I know a lot of people did in terms of... Was um, it controversial after the fight? Uh, was I, it accepting that? No, I don't. I, I think controversial is something that's... The word robbery is, is thrown out yeah. quite a bit. And a lot of the times it, it, when, when a robbery is called, it's, it's not a robbery. It's just a close decision. I wouldn't have been adverse to seeing somebody score that for Wiley Zhang. It was just my personal opinion that I think Joanna did enough over the, the five rounds to win at least three. It was a split decision, you know, so it was it was extremely, extremely close. Um, moving forward, it's hard to say with Joanna. She's been like she, she, she's been the champion for the longest. She was the longest reigning champion in women's strawweight history in the UFC. Um, that that belt has really bounced around from from people to people. Obviously, Rose Namajunas took it off Joanna. She she defended that title against Joanna then, um, and then lost it to Jessica Andrade. And Andrade lost it in her first first attempt at the title defense to Wiley Zhang. So, look, I think it's a bit premature to be writing the book on the last chapter on Joanna's career. I would just be worried that even though she's so, super competitive and there's. The two of them are about the only kind of word that you could use to describe all of them is, is animals. Like they're both absolute savages, and they deserve they deserve to be paid a lot more than they they were or going forward. Like you'd hope to they're see paid it. a lot less than the than the male fight. Uh, I'm not. Fight. I'm not. I'm not certain off the top of my head as to actually the figures, but um, like I know the, for what they put their bodies through, yeah. they deserve to be getting paid a lot more than what they what they are or were. Um. <clears throat> Yeah, as I said, like Joanna has just taken a lot of damage, and it's not even the fights that she's gone when she was defending the title. She, she was in a lot of five round fights, and even these fights where she was dominating four out of the five rounds, she was taking her licks at the same time. Like she's that that hematoma that that uh, came from like that was protruding from her head. It's not the first time that she's had that kind of swelling on her face, and this was even the the, the last time it happened that I think off the top of my head I can remember was when she fought Karolina Kovacavich and. She dominated that fight easily four out of five rounds. Maybe just maybe swept the board and won every every round. But yeah. she's been through the, the ringer a little bit, so I, I I can't say I wouldn't like to see that again. I, personally, I'd love to see it go back because I I can't remember the last time that I've been standing on my feet or after after a fight. And bear in mind, this is at five o'clock in the morning. So usually when you're over here, you're a bit tired yeah. when you're watching it. So, um, like look, I'd I'd love to see it back, but I'd like to see the two of them take. Jesus, a couple of maybe at least a couple of months just to relax, get the head together, and then you're looking just to see where where their heads are at. Like uh, it's, I don't know whether Joanna is, wants to jump straight back in. Maybe she wants to take it uh, six months to a year, come back maybe a three round fight and find her feet again. But God, I'd like to see it again. Well, all the writers were saying that at least today that 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 fight definitely in in a few years will go down in the Hall of Fame as one of the top fights ever whatever unless you want to make top 10 female or male fights ever that that there will definitely make the list but for mma where's the big occasion now coming from next what's the upcoming i think coming up next everyone's moving their attention towards uh to april to brooklyn to tony tony ferguson and habib nurmagomedov um look it's been that that fight is been roundly described yeah, by so people in the media as cursed because it's been put together four <laughs> times and this is the fifth one and obviously now that there's this uh the talk of large sporting events being cancelled or else play behind closed doors where like it'd be awful to think that that, that could be potentially moved back I, or i couldn't else. see too many fans taking that lately if it was behind closed doors <laughs> yeah i suppose we'll, we'll get into this a little bit 
bit, little bit later when we got moved towards the football. But uh, here, what what can you really do? You're yeah. you're you're going off. It's a health, a public health scare. So at the end of the day, you're you're going off what health officials or people who are in positions to make these decisions. We're going off what they have to say, and ultimately you kind of have to just accept what. Yeah. What what the instructions are? Well, we're n- we're definitely not going to control that anyway, so we're not. Yeah. But um, in terms of who would you put for that fight? Jesus, oh, that's. I haven't seen Khabib lose so far. Uh, Tony is. Tony could be one of the most entertaining fighters that MMA has ever seen. Um, both on ridiculous uh, winning streaks. Tony has, I think, it's eleven straight in the UFC, and yeah. Habib is twenty nine or zero, and I think he's almost pushing ten or eleven now. Um, could be, could be even more than that. Tony could be twelve. Now that I think about it, um, look, it's hard to say. The only, the only one thing I, I would say is well, Khabib has fought more regularly, even though in over the past two years he's had his problems with injuries before, where he's been out and he's missed a lot of time. But in the last two years, like he fought Dustin Poirier in September, he fought McGregor before that. Obviously, there was the, the gap in between that for what happened after the McGregor fight, uh, the events outside the cage. But, look, it's very hard to, to, to look past Khabib just to how dominant he has been. But if, if anyone is going to give him trouble, then I think what you will see in this fight is maybe the first one to cut him or push him to, to, to deep rounds where he loses a round or ends up in a dangerous position where we've only really seen Khabib on top and literally not in any position where he looks like he's going to be in danger. So... I think Ferguson's going to push him hard, but as I said, it's it's very difficult to look past Khabib. I also want to focus on the uh, what you were talking about earlier, the Irish MMA wins, uh, up and coming Paul Hughes. Yeah, that was nice win for him. It was a brilliant, brilliant uh, performance. Um, well, obviously completely kind of, dominant. Didn't yeah, it? yeah. Well, he's, he's he's he was that performance really blew me away. To be honest, yeah. there was a there was a couple of nice wins for Irish MMA. Obviously. James Webb got the, the win um, rebounding from his uh, title loss he was actually the middleweight champion in Cage Warriors and lost his last fight um, he's come back with a nice win uh, James Sheehan also uh, had a lovely rear naked choke where he, he looked really really sharp I know he fought Ian Gary who <clears throat> many are also saying that himself Ian Gary and Paul Hughes are two of the, the new kind of faces of Cage Warriors going forward young up and coming hungry fighters um, but James Sheehan fought Ian Gary and obviously Ian Gary got the win last year I think it was or yeah I think it was last year um, Ian took the win there but James Sheehan was super impressive like eating shots but also coming forward putting a lot of pressure making Ian Gary work and I think he was just very very strong this fight like he, he, I think he got a takedown in the first round and then the second round another takedown little, good little take took the back very well and then finished the, the choke palm to palm which was very impressive but yeah as you said Paul Hughes I think like there was a lot of he was able to show a lot of areas of his game here there was a bit of grappling involved there was a lot of striking there was striking on the inside there was striking on the outside and like that finishing sequence was pretty pretty uh, awesome you know he landed a nice elbow a knee broke away from the clinch and this is when he was getting pushed against the cage and then had a, a nice crafty switch switch stance from orthodox as he was kind of moving uh Yuri Panada back towards the cage and landed a head kick when he went southpaw, which was just brilliant. So there's a there's <laughs> there there isn't that many fighters in the UFC signed or Irish fighters signed. I think McGregor and uh, Joseph Duffy are the only two yeah. that are signed to the UFC at the moment. But obviously they are coming back to Dublin in August. And Paul Hughes, I think, is five and zero now. Do you think it'll attract a big attention, especially when Paul Hughes coming back to Dublin in August? Do you think they'll <laughs> bring a big fan base? Well, it's hard to say that if he's going to get the call to uh, get on that card. Yeah. He, 
just based on the fact that he's super impressive but there probably is maybe scope there for him to have a couple more fights before the UFC would eventually come calling but look there is like coming for that card in Dublin they're gonna need Irish fighters there to draw draw the crowd like I know that there's been I've heard talk that Darren Till is supposed to be headline which would be if, if it went down it would be great to have him as the headliner but you do need Irish fighters there like the big nights in Dublin in the past are all based around local fighters uh, filling the card and look Paul Hughes could easily be one of them that that ends up going on the, the Dublin card but look it remains to be seen I think there is other other options there I think Reese McKee has fighting in Cage Warriors now coming up soon he could be the, the, the one that is that does make the cut this time but look there's a there's a bright future there for Paul Hughes anyway regardless. yeah it's, it's very interesting to actually look at because if we move to like boxing even uh, 10 years ago when uh, Bernard Dunn was fighting in Dublin uh, one of the sc- on the cards that night was Tyson Fury 10 years later look he's the big name that everyone's <laughs> looking at so I mean we might see the same with Paul Hughes in MMA yeah I think that like there was that lull after the the, the first wave of Irish yeah, fighters that went absolutely. into the UFC they kind of 2015 with McGregor leading they kind of took took it by storm a little bit the MMA world um, there were some big nights in Las Vegas with Gunnar Nelson even though he's Icelandic but he's kind of an adopted Irishman at this but point everyone, everyone on the bandwagon a- absolutely that, that time, yeah. look we'll, we'll take what we're given in terms of sport and um, achievements sport. yeah so like we've had a, a couple of really nice nights in, in America where it's probably like, I know people how controversial McGregor has, <laughs> has become in, in recent years but at the same time they're some of the greatest achievements that an Irish sportsman has ever produced for the country so um, like look it would be great to have some of them back on into the future in the next year or two going down the line Is he one of your would you rate him in the top five greatest Irish sportsman of all time? I would yeah Yeah? Yeah I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to argue I look it, it's, it's I suppose other people would say GA stars other people would say rugby yeah. stars maybe I'm, I'm a little bit biased just because like MMA is probably one of my well the achievements are there ah the, the achievements, achievements you can't take that away from yeah, him regardless absolutely. of what, you, what, what your opinion on him is like he's a superb athlete absolutely um, yeah we'll move from there and we'll move on to uh, uh, Premier League football so we will and the biggest I suppose Rory I know you're not a Manchester United fan but 2-0 over Man City the last day in the Manchester Derby surely you had to admire the football that was played there yeah I did look United did what they had to do they set up really really well I thought yeah. they which but look we'll get into that later on I think City in, in terms of how incisive they were I don't think that was really there um, a lot of that was down to you know, United frustrating them and, and setting up in a good in a good solid uh, shape and obviously we know what United are like going back to the start of Solskjaer's time there they're, they're, they are lightning on the, the counter attack if teams are going to dominate the ball against United at the moment with like a Solskjaer's led side they do end up producing probably some of their best performances have been when that's when they haven't been forced to keep the ball and try and break teams down so look I, I, I was I was impressed with it now when you flip the script kind of this towards City I thought that they were a bit lethargic when they were on the ball there was they just lacked that cutting edge and you know, like Aguero didn't really he was he looked sharp in the first 20 minutes but I don't think he really ever got into a position where you're you're looking at him every every game to get in, into a positions at least three or four times a game where he has the opportunity to score and I just don't think that there was a cutting edge there like they missed Kevin De Bruyne big time personally I thought that they, they missed him a lot and they, they do tend to and him and David Silver are this season anyway when they're not on the pitch they've just 
struggled with that lack of creative spark, I suppose. It's the first time that Manchester United have beaten Manchester City twice in the one season in over a decade. I they suppose. also beat them in the they've beaten them three out of four yeah, times. They've, they've beaten them, them three out of four. And Ollie at the moment now has hasn't lost a game since the middle of uh, the middle of January. The last game they lost was two 0 to Burnley. Burnley, yeah, Burnley. Yeah. So I think that does put the pressure off Ollie for, for for the remainder of the season. But the problem is now is they still have to follow them up with wins. Tottenham next week, Norwich in the FA Cup. So they they are in a good position, you know, the FA Cup quarter final. But they are in a good position, but they have to follow them up with victories. What do you think has been the reason why they've kind of changed their 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 form around in the last ten games or so? Well, I know everyone's been lauding how Bruno Fernandez has affected that team. Well, yeah, I I think um, Ollie obviously at the start of the season got an awful lot of sticks, so he did. Um, I I recall the the Roy Keane and Jamie Carragher had that he wasn't a top class manager and shouldn't have been there because Manchester United deserved the best in class, but. My argument to that is Manchester United had the best in class. They had Jose Mourinho and they had Louis van Gaal. I think the what Manchester United went for, um, and at the start of at the end of December after Mourinho left, was they were looking for someone to come back in and kind of bring back a certain pride and passion into the club. And Ollie has done that. Yes, he's gone through some rocky patches, but I think the players that he's bought in the transfer market are capable of being top quality Manchester United players. James, I talk about, Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka and Raheem Sterling had a very, very good deal on the weekend. That was something to watch. I mean, mean, people talk about uh, Robertson and um, Trent Trent being the best, and they are the best, but Wan-Bissaka is not far behind. I I think he's... Going, going backwards his defending is yeah yeah obviously yeah, and he'll get criticism on that he's 21 years old I think he might be 22 actually but um, you know he'll learn from that and and I, th- I think his tackling is, is absolutely yeah. superb left you know putting putting tackles in left right and centre he's, he's unbelievable but even you know I suppose he got a lot, a lot of criticism criticism Ollie for getting Gallo you know, I don't think Igalo has been that bad since he's come in. You know, no, I, I mean, I think a lot of United fans have been pr- fairly happy with his performances. Yeah. But look, I, I personally, I haven't, I haven't seen him enough for United. He's only featured off the bench more. Yeah, or I mean, uh, the, uh, in uh, in the City game and against Derby, but there is something there. I think you could see when the final whistle went yesterday. The passion of the players, it it meant something to the fans. Fernandez in Igalo, Wambasaka. Um, when we get Rashford back, uh, our obviously our, our favorite Scott McTominay, McSauce, like these are good players. They're not world class because I don't think the world class players want to go to United because they want to go to the clubs that are going to win the trophies. But you have to start somewhere, and it's a rebuilding process. And I think that victory definitely puts an awful lot of pressure off Ollie. They still have a long way to go because I don't think all their performances have been perfect. You have to only go back to last week where they drew 1-1 with Everton. Mm-hmm. But it, it, there definitely is something there um, for, the, for the future. And mm-hmm. I think Ollie is doing the best he can with the players he can. I, I was actually watching there the last day that they were combining um, the current Manchester United side with the current Liverpool side. And obviously Liverpool dominated that if you if you had to pick your best eleven. But that's gonna be natural. Liverpool are the best team in Europe. In Europe. 
So which just to just to touch back on Igalo too, I think like what like one of the things I've kind of noticed in Liverpool, I know that their front three are Salah, Firmino, and Mane. Who like it's it's not a traditional centre forward where you're bouncing balls into uh, somebody who's looking to hold the ball in. But why are they? Why have they been so successful in recent months? I think it's because they're able to go short. They're able to knock the ball really fast in between, linking up with the midfielders. Uh, playing triangles but they're also able to go forward quickly and then that catches a lot of teams out like if you look at Barcelona over the last year I think the biggest drawback with their team obviously I don't think that they have the, the, the players that they had obviously when Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets were Busquets was at the height of his career but what they can't do is they can't go long they can't they can't force fullbacks to turn or centre halves to turn when they play a long ball over the top now and I don't mean I don't mean humping the ball and Barcelona are never going to be ones that just hump the ball obviously long but what you see from Liverpool is they'll play 60 yard passes but they're on the forwards toe and Mane, Salah, Firmino are able to take the ball down they're able they're comfortable in, in receiving the ball from that uh, distance and pace so like Igalo I don't obviously like you can't you can't directly compare them to, to that tree because they've been sensational for over a year now but maybe it'll definitely give United something that they have another option to go towards if, if their uh, approach isn't, isn't working which I think Martial's been great in flashes at points this season but when they goal the last day yeah it was, great, it, it, was well, it was well taken play, yeah. it was well taken but like as I said he's, he's, he is a good player but he's he's produced it in flashes and I think when at the start of the season especially when Ratchet was fifth they tried that kind of you know play three, three four, or play forwards that are the, the four part of the pitch they're looking at players that can get it behind players that can take a man on and basically make, make back fours work but it does give United a different option to have somebody that they can bring in and he can he can link players into link midfielders into the game. Like you'd 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 be looking to see Bruno Fernandez, Mata, them type of players looking to kind of really improve how they performed and how they can affect the game when you have a Gallo in the side. I'm gonna throw out a player to you from Manchester United who's missing currently. Do you think he'd make a difference? Paul Pogba? Yeah, look he's he's a good Do you think player. he should go in the summer? got on team he, of the year last season he is a good player like and look you can't knock how technically proficient Paul Pogba is but as you know I start like you, you you touched on earlier on that Solskjaer has, bring, has brought in some good players in the last couple of transfer windows and I know he's still looking for patience and I know he still wants to bring in a, you know look towards the next two or three transfer windows where they yeah, really I, brought I, in I, more I think he needs you know uh, so, like he needs a out and out goal scorer mm-hmm. I think we do have goal scorers and Rashford and Martial but I think you need an out and out goal scorer someone that's going to get you a goal almost every game guaranteed um, but on the Pogba look he's a great player and if he's going to settle down but like uh, look I don't want to say that I don't know the ins and outs of, of his injury but how long is it since he's played October did he have one, one or he two had one in the FA Cup yeah, yeah which yeah, probably in January. He could easily have been brought back too soon there and kind of picked up uh, picked up another injury or you know made made it worse than what it was but the amount of chatter you get out of Mino Raiola is is it worth it like if they can bring in you know a couple, the, the only thing is are you know they're going to attract the, the best players the best midfielders to replace Paul Pogba are they going to get the money that they paid for him I don't think they will get the money for the pay for him I think that he still would command a, a huge transfer fee and his wages would be astronomical too but if if you know they're gonna get rid of him and if you know that are, are, are have to make a decision in the summer that they don't want to stick with him, 
they might be looking at taking a, a cut on what they actually pay for them in terms of when they sell them. But we can't obviously deny what Raul is, is. I suppose he's putting Man United in hot water so many times, even recently with um, his tweets about Ollie Solskjaer. And then when he was called out in Sky Sports, he was on Twitter the next day uh, giving out about Gary Neville. Yeah, like I think he's probably like, is there many other, I think, you know, United fans would always go on about, I think it's Jorge Mendes is the other yeah. Portuguese yeah, that used right. to be yeah. Mourinho's agent, I think yeah. he was, and a few other players. But like, I don't think I know any other agents' names. Mio no. Raiola is, well, he's not, famous is probably the incorrect word to use, but he's, Famous for the wrong yeah, reasons. He's, fam- maybe he's famous you're... for an agent. So, yeah. and like he's obviously he he's an agent to a lot of very very technically proficient quality players. Like so, and we have to remember Alex Ferguson years ago said he'd never do business with that man, and then Jose Mourinho brings Paul Pogba back into the club and is doing business with him. Yeah, well, like even sure he represents Haaland too. Like there was yeah. a, that, that was a big uh, that was a a. a a point of contention when you know it went in to sign him so well so the the, the coverage of that kind of whole saga went that there was a there was obviously problems with Haaland's wages or what what he was going to be paid and then also there was you know it having to deal with Raiola which is always testy testy uh, communications when the two them two parties come together to dis- to discuss something so and obviously now that Haaland has ripped it up at Dortmund too in the last couple of weeks or a couple of months that yeah. you can't really blame him for the choice he made yeah, I don't want to get annoyed about that. <laughs> so, in that, we'll probably move on. And I just want to touch briefly briefly on Champions League tonight. Liverpool going in, 1-0 down. Aggregate, if we focus in on last season, they ha- they were in the semi-final, 3-0 down to Barcelona. So, they have come beh- from behind before to get into the next round. Do you think they'll do it tonight? Like... We talk about them earlier being probably the best team in Europe. They are like I think that they've been the most consistent, and they probably are. They're still they're they're still the best team in Europe. Like if Liverpool go out, I think that there is a good like there's it's a fairly open. You know what I mean? If Liverpool were to go out in the, in this round, like a lot of teams would think we're looking around at that and being like, "Geez, we we'll be in we with a chance here to actually go and do it." Like I, I was super impressed with Bayern a few weeks ago, like how they performed. I know Chelsea are maybe aren't in the same same class as Bayern are at the moment but like they looked really really impressive the other week um, Alfonso Davis I think everyone's waxed lyrical about him for so long he totally deserves it but Lewandowski Serge Nabry they were they were really really uh, outstanding at Stamford Bridge but going back to Liverpool like <laughs> they, t- they turned that around against Barcelona but Barcelona are brittle like they, they have been for over a year like even then you know like Messi was Messi was basically digging Barcelona out of holes for the entirety of last season obviously Ter Stegen was brilliant for them I think last year as well and he's continued that form into it this year but like when that tie was announced Liverpool and Atletico I immediately kind of in my head it stuck in my head as this is this is the worst tie that they even though Atletico had gone out I think to Juventus last year and they gave up a two, two goal aggregate lead this was a horrible tie for Liverpool going in because and I think the reaction to the first leg was it kind of illustrated that even more like how how they seemed to take it really poorly that and expected that Atletico were going to try and play with their whole game like the, as if 
which I think is bizarre too. Like there's this kind of conception now that everyone has to play tidy football, but why would you play progressive football when you have a worse, you know what I mean? It's like asking, say, like Atletico are quality players, but what, like, for example, if Liverpool played Burnley at the weekend, would anyone begrudge Burnley for going out and putting uh, 10 men behind the ball and trying to grind their results? Like there's more than one way to play football. Absolutely. And I think that like Atletico Madrid, not only, they play that way, but they have quality players then as well to 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 fulfil that like and and last for ninety minutes. So, like, I think Liverpool will obviously be more accurate with what they in terms of how they produce or create. Like, I think that they're gonna get chances to to score, but it's a case of like the longer this game goes on, if they don't take one of them chances in the first half, let's say this game goes on and gets goes on and goes on. Simeone's teams know how to win in the, in that, that fashion. So the, pre- the pressures are played. Like I don't think that they're gonna crack the way Barcelona cracked and they ha- they've only they're leading by a goal. You know what I mean? They haven't even got an away goal yet, so Well they do they do highlight that it is hard to go into a second leg one nil down, but to go in one nil up and have to travel to Anfield can be a very different story. Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like well if for any other team, I think you'd be kind of looking at what way are they, you know, what if they're if you're going one 0 up and you're going away from home in the second leg, there'll be a lot of discussion as to how these teams, how the away team is going to play. Like, but you know how Atletico are going to play. They're not going to di- di- differ. They didn't. They did the same thing that they they'll do the same thing that tonight as they did at home. They'll they'll set up. They'll be really really solid. When they get on the ball, they'll be able to keep it. Like I think that was overlooked in the sense that like there was kind of this like notion that Atletico. Are getting rid that aren't like aren't comfortable enough on the ball to keep possession when they had it. Now, Liverpool are one of the best teams and best passing sides in the world at the moment. So, but Letico, once they get when they get the ball, they probably won't have it for long spells, but they're able to settle on the ball, you know, like Saul. Saul. There's a couple of players in there that are, I know that they're, I'm pretty sure they've got a, a couple of pl- players out. I think Diego Costa's struggling for a bit of uh, for uh, fitness, but like if they can settle that game and kind of after 15 20 minutes 25 minutes like and they're still nil all and it's still it's Liverpool are struggling to create this could be a very very long night for Liverpool and the people that are going to be flocking to Anfield I'm very interested um, who are you predicting will win tonight or rather get through hmm. well last night I was on Twitter and I was I was talking about how I pre- predicted or how I thought that Spurs would play terrible for Three out, of, three out of four halves over two legs, and probably go and, and uh, go through last night. But obviously, Leipzig battered them. Yes. Um, so four nil. I think it was it was three on. Was it not? Was it? Oh, sorry. No, yeah, it was four on aggregate. Yeah. yeah I think they, they scored. Well. Uh, yeah. Sabitzer scored two, and then I think That's they got right. one with ten minutes to go. Uh, who was it? It was. I'm actually not sure. Emil Forbes, Forsberg. Sorry, Come that's on. who got the last one. Um, I don't know. Like I could see. See Atletico doing. I could see. I could really see Atletico going there and growing that result. But look, it's it's very difficult to back against Liverpool. And if Mane, Salah, Firmino are on form, and and I think I think this this game tonight will be decided on who takes over in the middle of the park. Like if you, if I don't know who's going to start, but if Fabinho, uh, Jordan Henderson, if he starts, if they get a foothold in the game, it'll be hard for the, for for Atletico to to withstand ninety minutes of the kind of pressure that Liverpool can put on to, to teams. And how like you looked at last, I know that I I've already kind of touched on that they're not as they're not as soft as Barcelona were, but Liverpool can can sustain attacks wave after wave for a minute, you know, for a, a, a prolonged period of time where the other team doesn't get the ball. So it's how Atletico really respond to that. I just want uh, a yes or no on this: Is Liverpool this current Liverpool team the best Premier League team ever? 
I don't know. The thing is, like, when you kind of touch on that... That's a no. No, it's not a no, but, like, when you touch on these, like, you know, I've seen, like, the Arsenal... Arsenal's Twitter page going yes, on about the Liverpool. But like they drew twelve games. Liverpool drew one or something before they lost that game, did they not? Yeah, just United. They only, lo- every team, they only went down two points to Manchester United and then lost three 0 to Watford. I suppose it's like any kind of like if you look at you're comparing different eras or different like athletes, you know, like if you're talking about basketball, you're talking about LeBron James and Michael Jordan, who's the who's the greatest player of all time. Like there's always that argument like, you know, that United team that did the treble they won three trophies in one season they lost Six. four games in the Premier League as well yeah but like you know what I mean like, so what, what kind of you know what? well I suppose uh, winning trophies is one criteria me- measure measure success to a degree yeah I think that's one criteria that, that has to be looked at but then there's also the level of performance who you, who, you know who you're beating the re- like the competition around you is definitely one but I actually don't think that the competition around Liverpool has been too poor. I think that they've just been fantastic for most of the year. Yeah, I I'd anyway. go with that, and but you have to take into account the the United team of '99, the players they no, had. I, I, I know. Beckham, Giggs, they were Keane, smashing aside, and, and they like that core of that team, the core ten of the players went on and and repeated success, had repeated success yeah. going year into after year. year after year after year, going from the '90s into the 2000s. So I personally, I think. I always look back on football at that stage with a bit of nostalgia, so I'll, I'll just I'll stroke your ego a little bit and I'll say the United, United team of 99 were I the think, best team. I think we will have to do uh, a debate on that uh, later on, probably in the next coming weeks, and maybe try and get a poll of our uh, greatest Premier League teams ever. But uh, one thing is for sure that Liverpool, the, the league is done and dusted, and they are the Premier League champions for the first time in 30 years one thing though they probably will do which is also for the first time they'll probably win the league behind closed doors and no one will be there to see them win the league because with the outbreak of the coronavirus GA games Premier League games rugby games yeah and you can obviously see in Serie A has been yep, closed down. down and we were talking about obviously early Juventus mm-hmm. um, outside the stadium last night well there's that funny clip on um <laughs> on Twitter that was doing the rounds of Ronaldo and yeah, going into the San Siro right. and high five and nobody which kind of had gave a lot of people a, a bit of a giggle but I don't know like well, what's what do you think is going to be what what do you think that's going to happen now in the next couple of weeks because it seems like every day now there's been kind of an escalation of whether it be around sports whether it be around like politics or you know the response is changing day to day it's not as if like it doesn't seem like people in positions of authority like obviously it is kind of a novel a novel idea like we've never dealt with this virus before no. so like it's it's like the instructions as to what's going down is changing by the day so well it's very interesting and in that i suppose two weeks ago when they cancelled the ireland italy rugby game people were saying that you know that that's fair enough um italy was on shutdown um they they were close to about last week's seven thousand cases of the coronavirus so people would look at that and say you know fair enough Two weeks later, I mean, they're talking about shutting down League of Ireland games, Trinity College is closed. I don't know what the story is going to be with this university. It's we'll prob- have to. It's probably not what is. Uh, if yeah. they close down DCU by next week, that we're sitting in here having the, uh, having yeah, the yarn. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, we, we probably won't be allowed back in. But uh, to, to be honest, I, I don't know what, uh, as you also say with the MMA over in New York. I literally don't know what they're going to do. Like in, in that in that and, instance, and, that we we just have to touch on. Um, March and April, like they they talk about 
doing all this behind closed doors. March and April obviously is a big time because it'll be leading into the for for Ireland especially and the rest of the countries in Europe is the Olympic qualifiers. Yeah, well, like the the Olympics, the Olympics being held in Tokyo as well, yeah. isn't it? So like, yeah. like I don't know. Obviously, the, the oh. virus has gone. Uh, the coronavirus has gone so far around the world now. It's not restricted to uh, no, parts of Asia, country, but yeah. like. You have to see that, like, if they if they continue if it continues in the same form, like you heard, um, like Pep Guardiola the other day saying that he, that if if it goes behind closed doors, they'd prefer not to play. And then I also heard well, LeBron James, where he he actually he backtracked on his comments, so basically saying he came out and said that he wouldn't really want to play if there was no fans in the arena. And then obviously when he was kind of made aware that that this was like this has been discussed. Uh, very seriously in, in sports leagues and sports organizations around the world like this is a and it's been obviously we, we've seen in, in Syria this has already taken place this is probably going to happen across a variety of sports so I don't think the Olympics even though there's like you know that t- t- tradition of the Olympics and it's bringing countries together and bringing people together and stuff like that and the kind of rich history I don't think that would outweigh public health concerns and as I said before kind of the, the, uh, in, the, in the last in two seconds ago that like you kind of have to just go on what the instructions that you're given and the advice that you're given by you know health authorities in whatever country that you you are in currently. Um, I think it's important to know as well. Like there was a nice article done in the Forty Two Dot there the other day about how League of Ireland clubs are gonna adapt that, to yeah. this. Like this, <laughs> it's one thing if you're a multi million. Would have been interesting to get Jack's view on that. That that that's what I would have said. Like I, I actually spoke to somebody in Finn Harps um two or three weeks ago and it was to do to do with basically every week there had been games in the league of Ireland called off and it was just like how would that affect if they're not getting people through the gates how is that going to affect the day-to-day running of clubs and it's sort of the story is <clears throat> yeah i need all the money they can get yeah well, well that's the thing like especially for members run and fan run clubs like that there, yeah, there is absolutely. no there, there's a difference between that level of sport and if you're a multi multi-million dollar or euro company or organization or brand you know so it'll be interesting to see what what way they like the clubs in ireland are supported because fans not being able to, to attend games is the, the fans in a lot of clubs across the country and I know like even in Scotland as well like they're, they're the lifeblood of the teams and, if, and the if, clubs if we, had a, if we had an empty stadium for the Old Firm Derby I think it'd be probably the friendliest Old Firm we'd, <laughs> we'd ever see yeah look I, I, it doesn't look like that's going ahead and it's it's I personally I think that the atmosphere has been diluted in the last couple of years oh, really? due to the fact that they've that Rangers cut Celtic's allocation. That's eight hundred. It, so fans. it's gone from you know we had a whole we had a whole stand that's gone from that to eight hundred. From eight thousand to eight hundred, wasn't it? Roughly around that. I'm not yeah. too like it was. Two, I, th- two, I think two that years. probably had something to do with two years ago Celtic winning the league in the Ibrox. Yeah, on the yeah. Final day. I think that there was. <laughs> it was an empty stadium. There was no. Uh, kind of acknowledgement of that but I don't think that they took too Five long to, yeah, to, to Celtic bouncing every time that they went there and, and put on a show so um, look we kind of just have to take take the day each day as it comes and play by ear but it does kind of look like that's the way that most sporting events are going to go to go towards either closed doors or looking at postponing games like and I know even <clears throat> like Getafe refused to trans travel to they're supposed to be playing I think they're playing into Milan tomorrow night in the Europa League and They've decided they're not going to come. The Roma Roma team weren't allowed to touch down in Italy for their game um, against Sevilla. I think they're due to play. So like the disruption that this is going to cause is we've probably only hit the tip of the iceberg. You know what I mean? Like this is going to be sporting figures, clubs, organizations, leagues all adapting on the fly and just going with you know whatever the voice is given on the day, and it seems to be changing by the day as well. So. 
Well, it is obviously something that, not only in sport, but around the world, something we've never seen before, and we're just going to have to wait. Whatever they're going to do, we're just going to have to wait and, and ride the boat out and see where it comes, but we are going to have to wait and see. We're going to have to leave it there for today. I would like to thank uh, Jack Keeney earlier for coming on to our, on to our show, calling in and with his interview. And I'd also like to thank my co-host, Rory Carvey. Uh, this has been The Final Whistle. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.